Um, okay, so we there's a lot there's a lot going on in these uh, scenes here, and to think about it kind of distinctively uh, in four kind of separate things. There was the healing of the centurion's servant, healing of the blind man, Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees, and then the last, or uh, sorry, wait, that's five. <laughs> I can't count. And then uh, um, the scheme of uh, to use Judas, and then finally the Last Supper. Um, and looking in Scripture, uh, the movies... Every movie I think that we have watched, except for like the Gospel of Matthew, and I don't, I can't remember if I ever showed you a scene from the Gospel of John. Aside from those, um, there's there's always a mishmash of things happening in these scenes, and especially as it relates to kind of the Holy Week, it's always it's always a little. I mean, it's very hard for directors to, to kind of do things accordingly, but. Um, so the scenes that we have seen has happened after the triumphal entry. So that we didn't watch that. I think you might have watched that last week, right? Um, uh, the woman caught in adultery, though, is from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, which is before the triumphal entry. But the Jesus of Nazareth film has kind of used the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, as kind of the timeline, sort of. And Jesus really only goes to Jerusalem as an adult one time, you know, at the end, at the end. And so if he's going to have uh, the woman caught in adultery that takes place around the temple, he's got to do it, got to do it during kind of Holy Week. So, um, you know, so I want to keep that in the back of the mind because uh, this will kind of come out as we talk about some of the scenes. Now, uh, in these scenes, I... Uh, I have well. First of all, I have some scripture there, and really, it's too long to really read all of them. But Matthew twenty-one, verse one through Matthew twenty-four is basically the from the triumphal entry to when the Pharisees plot to kill Jesus. And if you were to just kind of look at the, depending on your Bible, uh, the subheadings of each of those uh, sections, you would find out that there is a lot of confrontation. But what is the confrontation around? And it's really a lot, of, a lot to do with teaching. Now, as we look at the film, the healing of the centurion and the healing of the blind man are actually the driving forces behind the confrontation. So, healing of the centurion's servant. I, um, I don't know if that character has been introduced yet, but you might have been able to understand who that guy was who ended up killing somebody. That's Barabbas. Earlier in the film, Jesus actually meets Barabbas and challenges him. I can't remember if we saw that scene. Okay, great. Great. So, um, so Jesus has a kind of a, 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 a very um, loving stance towards Barabbas, that he is hoping that Barabbas follows the way of Jesus rather than kind of the way of the sword. However, what's the breaking point for Barabbas? It's, it's helping the Romans. When Jesus does this, and not only heals the centurion's servant, but actually says that there's been, basically he hasn't found this kind of faith amongst Israel. That's just too much. The healing and the confession is too much for Barabbas. Barabbas has now written off Jesus. And of course you see that when Barabbas uses this opportunity to kill a Roman and then basically 
condemn Jesus, stone him, stone him. He's in cahoots with the Romans. So you have a healing that drives the, the kind of the plot towards uh, killing Jesus. The next thing, though, is the healing of the blind man. And that, of course, uh, so that happens in all the Gospels, that the blind man gets healed. But kind of the narrative in the film is from uh, the Gospel of John, where the, the, the blind man is healed in chapter 9. Um, now, of course, though, Again, so you have a healing, which, of course, we all love healings, right? I mean, we all, this should be a, a reason to rejoice, but for Barabbas, it's a reason to kill. And then now, what is the reaction to Jesus' healing of the blind man? Of course, it's, it's the same reaction. It's a confrontation. Jesus heals this man, and, you know, it's not a big deal to Jesus, right? I don't know if you noticed, so when the blind man is brought back to Jesus, or the blind man wants to thank Jesus. Do you guys know what, what, is he, what is Jesus doing when that happened? Did you notice what he was doing? Yeah, he was, just on, his knee, he was on his knee talking to some guy that was, didn't look like he was doing so well. I mean, it was like, you know, that's, you know he's, he's beyond that now. He's, he's kind of off to the next thing. So it's not as if Jesus did this for something grander. I mean, this is just what Jesus does. So, of course, then, what do, the, what do the, the Pharisees say of the blind man, first of all? He's lying. Right, of course. I mean, that's what we do, right? Blame the victim and all that, yeah. Um, he was lying. Never blind. He's just, you know, he's just a, a crook, basically. Then, when that didn't really get any traction, then what did they do? They started... The, well, that, yeah, in the Gospel of John, they do, but not in this scene. That's right. That's why, that's why like I said... This, uh, these scenes are not really as they are in the Bible. But, I mean, I've, I've mentioned this throughout our study this fall, right? But um, So you have this kind of mishmash of narratives here. So even though the scene is probably taken from the Gospel of John, the parents are never asked. But the people around them basically are, hey, we all know this guy's been blind for a long time. So in a sense, they kind of take the role of the parents. So, the, so enough that uh, the Pharisees have to say, okay, enough with that guy. That's not getting any traction. We're just going to go straight to Jesus. And, you know, what do you have to say about yourself? Which I, I was like, well, what, do you, what do you want me to say? I, I, I'd, I'd be interested to find out, if, you, know, you know, but Jesus, you know, says, you know, I'm the light of the world and all that other, the, the, those nice things. Um, but, of course, when the Pharisees rather than rejoicing, but accuse Jesus of being a sinner and, and, and you know, evil, worker of evil, that, uh, how, what's Jesus' reactions to that? Brood of vipers. I mean, I don't know if you've been keeping track of Jesus' emotions throughout Jesus of Nazareth, but this is the first, I think, I mean, realistically speaking, this is the first time in the film that Jesus has shown great emotion. Even in the healing of Lazarus, in the scripture, Jesus is weeping. And, uh, but then Jesus Nazareth, he's not. I mean, he's maybe, I think he may have a little tear or something, but, um, you know, he's kind of in control. But here, oof, man, the emotions. The, uh, I mean, he probably watched Inside Out. That's what I was thinking. His emotions got the best of him. <laughs> um, so, it, now, so if we were to read the Gospel of Matthew, 
and read the words, you could envision Jesus acting this way because he calls them Buddha vipers, he calls them white sepulchers. Clean graves, right? Whitewashed. Yeah. Um, so, you know, normal, normal, normal response by the Pharisees is that they get mad. I mean, the one scene I wasn't able to show is the meeting of the Sanhedrin. And, um, and, and then Nicodemus coming out to Jesus to kind of warn him. But there's a, if, uh, that's a very interesting scene because there's actually a real debate within the Sanhedrin. Okay, but then, we, then uh, so Jesus rebukes them. I mean, I mean he, he, Jesus, the, the, the emotions are ramped up. Everything is just ramped up. And so it's kind of escalating. Now, Judas goes to Zerah, or Zerath, or whatever. Zerah, Zerah, I think his name is. Yeah, Zerah, okay. Now, in, in that meeting with Zerah, What do you think Judas's attentions intentions are in this meeting with Zerah, according to the film? His betrayal on his mind. Yeah, say it louder. Clarity. He's very confused, right? He comes in, you know, I don't know what I believe anymore, and I'm struggling with kind of now. I can't remember if I showed this film, or maybe Pastor Buke said, but earlier in the film, Judas meets this man and says, all, Jesus, all you guys need is to meet with Jesus. Let him talk to you. You will understand who this guy is. So now, now Zerah is like, hey, do you remember that one time? Do you remember? Let's just, this is, you knew it all along. Let's just have him prove himself. Now, of course, if you were to see that earlier scene of the Sanhedrin, you would know Zerah's intentions. You already kind of feel like he's a little swarmy anyways, right? <laughs> um, you, you might be questioning Zerah's motives. But according to the scene, though, whose motives are really not really questionable right now? Judas's. Judas is portrayed as one who's being taken advantage of almost. I think that's, that's very, very interesting. Krista. Pastor, had uh, Judas uh, uh, an opportunity to meet Barabbas? Barabbas? Uh, okay, so uh, in Jesus of Nazareth, no. But in other films, Judas does know Barabbas, and they actually are in cahoots. And I, I, we actually, uh, yeah, there's a scene from the King of Kings, 1961 King of Kings, where Judas and Barabbas are I mean, working together. Yeah. Um, but not in this film. So again, that's another interpretive. And, and there's nothing in scripture to say specifically, but kind of historically, the theory was that Judas, as an Iscariot, probably knew Barabbas because the Iscariot, there's a whole theory about the word Iscariot, what that means, um, that they were actually uh, guys who would dress up like normal people, hide swords in their outfits, and then when big crowds, they'd come and <laughs> kill the Romans. So, well, you know, kind of what we saw in Barabbas. I mean, it was, it was supposed to be more stealth. Uh, there's a question over here, maybe? Right. 
Yeah. Right. Now, and, and one of the things, too, is that what's, what's uh, interesting in Scripture is the word for betrayal is parodidomy. It's a Greek word. It means to hand over. It's also the, the word for tradition. And it's, it's used very interestingly. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when Paul gives the instructions for the Lord's Supper, I received from the Lord what I give to you. I've been parodidomied. And I parodidomy to you. Um, so that word can actually just be simply facilitating, handing over. Not intentions. Betrayal means intentions, right? I, I want to screw you. So this is where the complexity of the, the words on the page now become interesting. Church tradition has always used the word betrayed because of the end result, right? But in English, we have now a, a, like the intention of. And what, the reason why I bring that up is because of what, uh, the scenes in the, in the Last Supper. The, so Judas is a, probably a much more complex character than maybe originally perceived or what we've been taught in Sunday school. Okay. Um, yeah, Kirby. Well, yeah, his, he, he was surprised, wasn't he? If normally, if we're discovered and brought forward about right. something bad, we're like, oh, no, no, I'd do that. Oh. Or, you, yeah. Like Peter. And he was just like... Right. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. look like a shame. He didn't even really look ashamed the way they filmed it. It was a little like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go do it. <laughs> so, it almost looked like he wanted to discuss it. Like, right. Oh, no, I'm not going to betray you. Right. And, well, we'll, we'll, actually, I I don't know if Pastor Bukes will have time to watch it next week, so I'll let the cat out of the bag. Is Judas, uh, when Jesus does get arrested, Judas confronts Zerah and says, hey, this is not what we talked about. Zerah says, oh, there's not really a hearing. It's a trial because he's been been accused of blasphemy. And Judas is like, what? That's not what we talked about. It didn't seem like the way they filmed it. Right. Like he understood the enormity of what he was doing. Exactly. And, of course, if we were to see the Sanhedrin, you know, Judas isn't part of that. Judas is being used now. Okay. It's a very interesting interpretation. I think it's kind of worth thinking about. Holly. Right. Yeah. And again, so not because we, one of the things that we like to do, because, uh, you know, it's hard to handle complexity and, and, you know, we like things black and white, good and evil, and, you know, nothing else in between, is that when Judas is uh, called to be a disciple, you know, he's following Jesus for every other reason that the other disciples. There's no reason for us to presume he's following them for different reasons. Um, and then even in, uh, so, you know, you know, coming through this, as you read the, the the Bible text, is that Jesus goes or Judas goes and you know talks with these people. There is no still no there's no clear understanding whether what happened with the Sanhedrin or the Pharisee or the leaders has been communicated to Judas. So it's it's a it's a kind of a tough tough spot. Okay, now the thing is though, in that Last Supper scene, Judas's response is kind of like, "What well, what's going on?" He goes and does it. Now, the thing is, though, 
So Judas is not there for the Last Supper. He leaves before it happens. Now, is that actually in the Bible? No, it's not. It, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have Judas participating in the Last Supper. John is the one where Jesus says, what you are about to do, go, go quickly. But of course, in the Gospel of John, we do not have the, yeah, the institution of the, last, the Lord's Supper. Or the last, I mean, we, he has a last meal, but it's not done in kind of, a, uh, kind of what I would say a liturgical way or institution way. They're just having their last meal together. Or the, they're having the Passover meal. Um, so again, that's why I bring up the mishmash bit, is that now they're trying, he, the, the director is trying to use these things, and how is he going to you know, kind of utilize the, the biblical text to kind of tell this narrative? The reason why, so, but in the story, though, it doesn't really matter if he's there or not. I mean, not necessarily. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if Judas is present and Jesus knows that he will be handed over by one of his disciples, what does that say then about Christ's love and mercy towards sinners? It's, it radicalizes it. That Judas, in spite of what he's about to do, is still welcomed into that presence. Holly. Well, right, exactly. So, so then that, that kind of understands then in terms of, again, reading into, like, it, it's one of these difficult things where the intentions of Judas is a lot more complex. I mean, or I would say a lot more normal. And this is how we do things. You know, it's, it's very hard for us when, uh, well, anyways, okay, so yes, that, that makes it very, I think it's very interesting. And then it also explains a little bit about Judas's, you know, suicide. It makes that a lot more normal because, I mean, of course, Judas could have been, you know, having betrayal intentions, and then when it happens, he realizes it's a sin and he can't overcome it. But the other aspect, though, is that it's not just guilt, but there's a lot of shame involved. You know, how could I have been so stupid? How could I have done this? I didn't mean to have this happen. Jan. Well, I think, too, and it's kind of portrayed a little bit, but remember that the background of everyone at this point was Jesus was going to, the Messiah was coming on the white horse. Sure. He was going to get rid of the Romans. Right. You know, that's what everybody's thought was. They weren't looking for a man to be hung on the cross. Sure. It may have been Judas's thinking that, by golly, we're going to get this guy to finally declare we've just gone through Palm Sunday. We've just had the people following him. Right. Their coats all over the place. And now's the time for him to, Jesus, to declare the fact that he's the Messiah. Right. He's going to, you know, shed them of the Romans, and maybe Judas is saying he needs a push. Well, actually, uh, in the in the earlier in the film, when he meets Zera for the first time, that's exactly what Judas's intention is. He says, "This is the Messiah." I, you know, I think this is the Messiah, and what he's going to do is that he's, he's, he preaches peace and love and mercy. So guess what? The Romans can leave. It's no big deal. Well, you know, it's fine. 
Like, they don't need to, like, occupy us because we're all about peace, love, and mercy. We don't want to kill anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody. And Sarah's like, you're an idiot. They're not going to just walk out of here. And Judas was like, yeah, but that, that's, 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 who, that's who Jesus is. So that, that, was, that explains a little bit about his uh, political action statement where he's talking to Sarah. I, I believe that there would be political action, not, you know, uh, military action or force. Is that he just figured, hey, we can just sit down and talk. Jesus will... Work it out with the Sanhedrin. Work it out with Caesar. Everything will be great. No, no big deal. So, yeah, it, it, it's kind of, kind of an interesting portrayal of Judas. Yeah, Krista. Uh, <clears throat> I, I heard sometimes that if, you would, if Judas only would look at Jesus like Peter did when he denied, right. then he would be saved. Yeah, exactly. So there's two, there's two there, you know, obviously there's two ways of handling guilt and shame. Forgiveness. Uh, you know, forgiveness and, and uh, turning back to Christ. And then one is to kind of buckle into, uh, you know, looking towards oneself. And, of course, guilt and shame, when one looks at oneself, there's only death. And, and you can't get out of yourself. <laughs> I got a Java update. Okay. I thought that was maybe our Lord talking. All right. Um, so, anyways, there's a variety of things. Now, uh, I have uh, I have a, a couple other films, and I think we might have to prioritize this. The um, The King and Kings 1961 will probably just forego, mainly because I don't know it's maybe a little academic understanding is that uh, G- Jesus's triumphal entry is almost a subpoint to Barabbas's insurrection. So Jesus comes in, goes into the temple, but your attention is drawn to, so Barabbas is thinking, hey, this is our moment. Jesus is going into the temple. Rome's distracted. We're going to take care of business. So he, he leads us insur- like a full, full insurrection. Now, of course, we know that Barabbas was uh, you know, found, found guilty of insurrection, right? Because he, he comes out uh, you know, with Jesus, and they, they pick Barabbas rather than Jesus. So this film actually kind of shows an insurrection. Of course... With the Romans, though, the insurrection is, is brutally put down, and there's this death everywhere. But what's interesting, though, is that in the Jesus of Nazareth, this sort of insurrection that Barabbas leads is kind of small one, and then the, uh, the, the Sanhedrin's plot to kill come together when Caiaphas and Pilate kind of meet, or Herod, or I can't remember how the Jesus of Nazareth puts it together. These things too. But what's interesting though is that in the King of Kings, Jesus is so abstracted from the story that it that it's Jesus really has no involvement. It it it, it radicalizes Jesus' innocence to passivity. But in Jesus of Nazareth, the movie that we just saw, right? I mean he's yelling at people and he's telling them that the temple's gonna be destroyed and things are going down, right? So he he has a role in this. But in the King of Kings, it's, it's, it's really secondary. It's kind of an odd thing. It's weird. That would be kind of a, a, a film to kind of be like, whoa, that's, that's just not really close. Um, so, all right. But uh, now, the Son of God, uh, we're going to just take a quick gander at that. And, uh, yeah, we'll, t- we'll take a quick gander at these. Um, now, the Son of God just came out a few, few years ago. This one is Jesus confronting 
and we're going to kind of compare and contrast how that works. Uh, I'm not going to show you the rest. It, it, basically, there is no meeting of the Sanhedrin, just Caiaphas decides everything. Now, compare the confrontation of Jesus of Nazareth with what we just saw. I mean, a lot different, right? I mean, holy smokes. I, I, uh, now, the cleansing of the temple that happens earlier, uh, Nicodemus does confront Jesus a little bit, but it's his first confrontation. It's not like a coordinated attack. This right here, Caiaphas actually sends Nicodemus to catch Jesus in his words. So, um, you know, obviously, well, yeah, the character is Nicodemus, by the way, sorry. Um, you know, and he, you know, Jesus, you know, a battle of wits, he definitely takes care of Nicodemus. Um, but the thing is, though, is that uh, what finally gets Jesus to have Caiaphas say, oh, this guy got to be arrested it's him talking to a little girl about how stones are going to be falling down. That's peculiar. I thought that was, I think that's so strange. Well, who goes up to a kid and says that in the first place? Well, that's exactly right. That's why there's a variety of levels why it's, it's kind of peculiar is because, A, I mean, you know, first of all, my, uh, my son, by the way, my son has, uh, Isaac has been, uh, said this a few times, so, we, uh, on Netflix, we watched a, uh, this uh, Disney, short films from Disney, and one of them is The, the Matchstick Girl, or, yeah, Hans Christian Andersen, it's about a girl who's really poor and dies at the end, I mean, it's, it's, it's a sad, I mean, she, she's, she rendezvous with her, her mother or grandmother in this kind of heavenly state, but, but Audrey and Isaac are like, what? And Isaac's like, why would they make that for kids? <laughs> it's the same thing, it's like, you would go to Jesus and be like, why would you say that to a kid? That's not made for kids. That kind of talk is not made for kids. Um, it, it's, it's kind of odd. So, um, well, that's the thing. Like, it's cute. So Jesus confront Jesus of Nazareth, the words and his actions all make sense. I mean, he's, he's really poking at him. This one is kind of like, hey, I know your um, dad is sitting there and he's going to hear about the destruction of the temple, but I'm just going to talk to you. Um, that is just a, kind of an odd, odd, odd little scenario. I, uh, I, I offer that just as, a, again, a foil of kind of peculiar. Now, the, this next uh, one is from The Greatest Story Ever Told, and this is a Judas scheming bit, and he, they have another very interesting take on Judas. And I have a couple questions, like, who's directing the scene? Like, who's behind it? And then kind of what's the emotional state of Judas? And... Uh, what does he hope will happen through his actions? Yeah, so, okay, great. Okay. Do I have all the lights on? There we go. Um, all right, so this, obviously, portrayal of, of Judas is, uh, again, a little bit tortured. But what were some of the distinctive things in this scene? Or blatant things, maybe. Blatant? Uh, I would say blatant. So, yes, exactly. The worker, and uh, like I said, um, so when I first saw the film, just like you couldn't see, I mean, you couldn't see Judas, you know, he's talking in the dark. I mean, you can't see him until he kind of comes out. Obviously, the worker of darkness, right? I mean, they're they're workers of darkness, working in the dark. And, of course, who was in the dark in the beginning? Satan, right? He just saw his little eyes, which was even creepier than seeing it up close. You can see his face. Um... So, yeah, all that's connected. And so as you watch it, you can't help but know that 
the people who are working here now are workers of Satan. Satan's behind this scene. Now, the thing is, though, is another reason, not only light and dark, but do you remember during the temp- do you remember the temptation with this, uh, this Satan guy? His voice, calm, quiet, soothing, just like those guys. I mean, they were so calm and soothing. And they were, um, you know, Judas was a sad guy. He, didn't, he couldn't, he, you know, he talked about how much he loved Jesus and everything. And, and they said, you know, well, well, we'll take care of it. You know, they're, they're kind of helping, you know, helping Judas. Um, yeah, he's a tortured dude. The thing is, though, what does he hope will happen through his actions? Does anyone, I, I don't know. I mean, it's not explicitly stated, right? I'm just going to give them to him. But he's also trying to protect him. Yeah, is he? I, yeah, that's, that's the peculiar thing. It's kind of a strange don't scene. Hurt don't hurt him. I'm going to give him to you. Why are you going to give... So this is, the, the guy asks, so why are you going to be... And he, he put out the first syllable of betrayal. <laughs> but give him to us. Um... You know, it's not really stated. So, and I guess on purpose, yeah, to kind of demonstrate how much Judas is kind of doesn't know what he's doing. It's, it's kind of a tortured state. Although, again, then it puts the responsibility of the scene then not on Judas but on Satan. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty. Why? Yeah, anyways, it's it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, now, if you have time, oh yeah, Marilyn. You know, we sit here looking at Judas, and yeah. he's saying all these things like, oh, I really love Jesus. Right. No, I don't want anything bad to happen. What in the world did he think was going to happen? Well, see, this is, but yeah, that's right. That's right. Of course you're not going to be punished for your sins. That's okay, that's not right. I didn't mean to do that, Jesus, so I should be, yeah, left off the hook, right? Um, that's a great point, Marilyn. Intentions. Well, there's the saying, I don't, it's, I've heard it attributed to too many people, but um, I first heard it attributed to Augustine. The, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So, um, yeah, great point, Marilyn. I never even thought about that. Yeah. Hey, yeah, Faye, go ahead, Faye. Yeah. Right, good, good point. You know, if he is a true Messiah, he will prove himself before the Sanhedrin. But if he's not, you've ridden Israel of a, of a false prophet. Either way, you will be remembered. Good job. Yeah, that's a great, great point. I've never thought about that. Either way, you'll be remembered as the one who sided with the, the Messiah or the one who stopped the greatest false prophet ever to exist. That is very interesting. Pride comes before the fall. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's good. That's really good. And, and uh, the deviousness of pride even. The pride within the kind of the, the sad state. You can be this despicable, you know, kind of pitiful person, but at the same time hold this great pride in yourself. It's not the arrogant kind of guy that only has pride. It's, you know, that's good. That's really good. Oh, man. Could spend the whole half an hour on that. 
Donna. In all the films, the 30 people, yeah, the 30 pieces of silver is like an afterthought. It wasn't like for the money, like he never did it for the money kind of, kind of uh, perspective. In Jesus of Nazareth, it's not until Jesus is handed over and Zara kind of goes, oh yeah, make sure you give him his money. In this film right here, when Jesus says to him, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly, he goes, and there's a scene again in the dark and all you see is the light on the hand. And the guy at Caiaphas just dropping the money and clink, 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 clink. But it's again, it's it's all done after everything. There's no kind of financial motivation. Um, yeah, there's um, there's a whole jo- Joseph typology in there too. Joseph was sold for twenty pieces, not thirty, and by his brothers. And yeah, okay. It, um, if you got, I mean, if you got to go, I understand. I'm going to show this one little scene from uh, King of Kings 1927 because it shows the Lord's Supper. Jesus's actions are, are a little bit liturgical, but the one thing was is that um, the the disciples and Judas specifically, very very interesting take on it. I have a question. Yes. Uh, sure. Is there anywhere in the Bible where Judas's name has been? Condemned to a sense like the serpent, okay, you, they're going to hate you forever. Um, I've never heard a child named Judas. Right. <laughs> yeah. So the question is, I guess my question is, is there anywhere in the Bible where the actual name of Judas has been? Well, G- Jesus says, you know, better better for him to have not been born. But does it doesn't say, you know. If you name your, you know, if you know, don't name your kid Judas, obviously, but anywhere in terms of him being like the chief of sinners or like the number one sinner, the number one bad guy, it, to be honest, it could be in Jude, but I'm not sure. Yeah. If uh, it's not in a book of the Bible that we read often, I mean, I, you guys might know Jude a lot, I don't. All right, the King of Kings scene is, uh, it, it, it's, it's not very long. Oh, I heard you guys watch this in Fast Forward last week. Um, I, I don't know how to do that, so. All right, I'm just going to fast. This is how I fast forward. Um, now, yeah, Peter loves it. He embraces it. We're just going to get over to uh, Judas here real quick. Oh, he's freaking out. Okay, so the reason why I want to show that, you know, I didn't spend any time on, like, I, I kind of asked these questions, but uh, maybe not the best film to see. Uh, so in every, every film, uh, the, the Last Supper, on a certain level, is always interpreted liturgically. So a variety of the films, Jesus is, like, standing like a celebrant. He, he blesses the cup like you would see in church. Um, uh, not necessarily in this film, uh, although the the disciples eat it like it's the body of Christ. That's an old tradition of only touching it with these two fingers, and um, or putting it right in your mouth. From I think Matthew, that was the Matthew disciple. Uh, now the thing is, though, Judas in this scene obviously does not. He's present, but he does not partake of the body and blood of Jesus, which of course is an interpretation of you know kind of a certain theology where only faithful people are allowed to receive it. Um, 
you know, since and they make a statement about Judas, which is the opposite of what we saw for, so far. He is intent, like he's going to screw Jesus over, like he knows that. Hence, the, all the nonsense with uh, him not eating the bread or drinking the cup. And then finally, what does he do at the end? He tells Jesus, "I'm not going to do that." He tries to pull one over on Jesus, and of course, Jesus knows that he is the guy. Um, I. I think that's a very funny thing to see. I mean, it's so interesting. The thing is, uh, the reason why it's more funny is because it's a silent film. But er- all the other films that you know that we kind of mentioned, Son of God, I mean, the Son of God film, the King of Kings, all these other films do things that are odd. And, uh, of course, this, this just highlights it because it's silent film and they have to be more dramatic because they can't use you know, music or their words. to. They have to use their faces. Um, anyways, uh, next week uh, it is the Good Friday. I'm sorry, two weeks, December 4th, I think, right? Uh, it will be Good Friday. So if you've got any time, just look over the crucifixion. Uh, so it will be the trial and the death of Jesus. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to, I guess that's, that's your, it's okay not to. But um, there's a variety of interesting scenes then in the films that deal with trials and Jesus before the Sanhedrin and Pilate and then obviously the crucifixion too. But let's, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.